Hello there, and welcome back to our third installation of So It Joes. Today, we will be going over chapters 8 through 10. We will have a great conversation about Billy Pilgrim and how the bombing of Dresden affected him and his life. And we'll take it to an interview with Colin's mother discussing media and how things are portrayed now compared to how they used to be. And finally, we'll wrap it up with an, by analyzing Vonnegut's short story, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Should be a, a good episode. For our first segment, we'll be discussing chapters 8 through 10 of the novel. And uh, first, I want to start off by... Uh, really talking about Billy and Billy Pilgrim and his his reaction to the bombing of Dresden that really is uh, mentioned a lot in these chapters. So Billy was in the, uh, the slaughterhouse for this bombing and it was really just him, some other prisoners, and four or five guards. And they had they knew that it was being bombed, but they had really had no idea the extent of it and what really was going down while they were just sitting in the slaughterhouse. And it uh, it shows him going outside to discover what went down, and it, he's really just in shock at what, at what all occurred, seeing charred bodies and really just a once great city just completely dismantled. And I think this is probably what left the biggest scar in him. This, you could tell, really messed him up. He he really is uh, distraught about seeing all this. And this really, I think, plays into his mood and why he constantly mentions the Tralfamadorians and why he really time travels in general. I think because of this... A horrible thing he witnessed that this time traveling is really just a way for him to escape those memories of that because it really seems like whenever he starts to mention the war it immediately takes him back to Shelfamador and his experience with the aliens so in my opinion I think really that in this chapter we it finally show, shows that uh his time traveling and his constant uh, switching from time zones is really just a way to to cope with his struggles of uh, being in the war and experiencing such a horrible event like Dresden and really seeing all that went down there in Dresden and recalling it just leaves a huge scar on him that he replaces with this time travel. Yeah, after having a uh... I agree with you that after having like seen this memory and gone through this so many times about what happened in Dresden and the things he experienced and what he saw after this bombing, it's uh, it's kind of distanced him from real life because he's always living, reliving all these moments. And that's like really interesting. And near the end of the story, he comes to realize this when he uh, has that encounter with his son where his son's in the bathroom on the guitar and, uh, he realizes like that the people around him 
not like in his past or what he like knows about his future or anything. Like he's forgetting about those people that are around him, like his son and his and stuff like that. And this causes him to like it's kind of it's kind of like an awakening for him to like the world that's around him right now, and it like offers like uh potential for like more human relationships instead of constantly living off these old memories of whether they were good memories or the one the bad ones that he experienced in Dresden and the bombing. But uh this at this point in the story it makes his potential for human relationships like much greater. Like he's starting to become more normal as I guess they would say people would say. And it uh this allows him to start to kind of work to go closer to some people. And it's, yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting the way that how he's come to realize that he has to live more in present and stop uh, using this time jumping to go over these events over and over, which cause him like pain and anguish that he has to relive. Yeah. Another thing I thought was significant was at the uh, the end of the war when it mentions for the first time he he uh, he starts to cry. I think this really says something that he didn't he didn't cry throughout the whole war. All his experiences, Dresden, being captured, being wanting to be left behind from the other soldiers throughout this whole time. He was weak, but he never cried. But the second the war really ended and he all this horribleness was over, he then begins to cry. I think this really is, uh, is something I thought was kind of interesting to, to think about. And it really reminds me of, uh, of just emotion in people, such as in sports players or, or stuff when you go through so much and it's finally over and you, uh, you really got what you wanted. It just, it's an emotional thing. And I think for the first time we see this emotion overcome Billy. And I just found that super interesting to think about that. This was the only time when he cried. Yeah. It was like, he'd been holding it in the entire time he's been captured. And when he left the slaughterhouse after this bombing and saw everything that's gone down, it's just like, his emotions overtook him and he wasn't able to control himself. Cause like this is, it was an experience that few other people have ever experienced in their life. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be all for this segment of our podcast. Hello for this segment today, I'm going to be interviewing my mom and today we're going to be talking about how the betrayal of things like war or crime or just things in media have changed over time. And uh, my first question I have for you is, uh, how have you seen the portrayal of things like war or crime on television or media change over the course of your life? It seems like war has become, war and crime have become uh, entertainment um, on, on the news media. You know, you'll see things like shows like Investigative Discovery or, uh, you know, things like that where they're, you know, it's, it's really something for people to enjoy and watch, and um, and I feel like it's really become it's really become something for people to 
to uh, you know spend their free time watching for for entertainment value. All right, yeah. Um, experiencing many different events in the world in your lifetime, how do you think things such as media or news or literature literature portray things differently than they actually occurred, or do you believe like many things like news have like a strong bias towards certain sides or certain yes, things absolutely. they portray? I think that there are news media sites that are you're either they're either liberal or they are conservative, and the liberal uh, news media stations report from their perspective, and the conservative news media stations report from their perspective. And I feel like we never really kind of get the true story. You're always everything's slanted from a perspective of which political party you're aligned with. Do you feel like when you were younger that this was different? Yes, I do. I feel like I. I I feel like the political landscape now is such that uh, both parties are so divided, and they always were, but I think that it's more so now where uh, it, it's just our side and their side. Uh, I don't feel like we're as united as a people as we used to be in the United States. Uh, in the story we're reading, Slaughterhouse-Five, the main character is talking to someone who is writing an article about a bombing that he experienced in the war, and the writer only uses positive sources saying, how it was such a success and gets rid of all the negative ones about the event. Have there been times in your life when you doubt the media or news about their portrayal of certain events or, and like, does it feel like there's always something missing? Okay. I would use it as an example of um, the story of the Catholic school students. They were at the March for life earlier this year where they were talking about these horrible group of uh, pro-life teens who were wearing MAGA hats and how horrible they were, and that there was this uh, army, uh, Native American army veteran who was a peaceful protester, and they were hassling him and treating him poorly. Uh, and then after, and all these people on, on the news media were, were ripping him apart and his classmates saying how horrible they were. And then after the story came out, you could see what the real truth was. Once the, the layers were peeled back, you find out that those teens were not uh, confronting that group of protesters. They were um, trying to avoid them and they were uh, approached and uh, the, the Native American gentleman got in his face and was beating a drum in his face. So in the meantime, you have all of these media stations reporting about how horrible these kids were when in reality, the story was much, much different. And all of these people were attacking these kids, uh, calling for violence against them and all this other stuff, and people were so quick to jump on that bandwagon when, in fact, the story was much different than it was portrayed in the media. So with this being said and this, like, bias that you see in, uh, like, modern media, do you feel that, like, today you, along with many other citizens, are, like, often left in the dark on certain matters? Like, do you feel like you're not getting the whole story? I think that many, I think the majority of Americans believe that the media slants reports in favor of the liberal position on current issues. Um, I will, all, I, in fairness, I will say that uh, the media on the other side of the aisle also slants things in, in their favor, but by and large, I think things are more slanted towards the liberal view these days. And I think the American people really just need to know what the truth is, both sides of the matter, and we need a media who is willing to report things from a more, from a less biased position. All right. Uh, I think that's all for this segment. Thank you, Mom, for You're this welcome. interview. Segment in today's podcast, we are going to 
analyze a short story by Kurt Vonnegut called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Me and Joe were in search of something to do for the segment and we came off came across this short story. We found it rather interesting. And uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about in this story is the tone that Vonnegut uses and the points he proves by using this tone. And uh, throughout this short story, his tone for the most part is very ironic. And he uses the characters to point out how ridiculous this uh, prolonging of a void's life by using this medicine is. And uh, an example of this is in the story when character M suggests diluting Grandpa's anti-garrison, which is causing him to stay alive. Uh, Lou scolds her and saying that such a thing would be quite against nature. And then it, when you think about it, they are using men- this anti-garrison medicine to uh, prolong their lives, which is unnatural in itself. So it's pretty ironic that he's saying that's, that's uh, against nature when the, the lives they are living are very against nature themselves. And uh, another example of this is uh, is uh, the Schwartz family is discovers in jail it is much more comfortable than the home they had been inhabiting since they have like their own private cells with beds and toilets and uh, this is very ironic because they usually in our world society today this is the last place people would want to be is stuck in jail but the Schwartz family <clears throat> thinks it's uh, kind of like a hotel they kind of like living there and this uh, overall it seems that humans were in, like they flipped the world on it like on its head in this uh, story, and they do not even realize it. And they talk about things being unnatural when they are living unnatural lives. And uh, yeah, that's uh, the tone that I got was a very ironic tone from this story. Yeah. Uh story very interesting from many uh, standpoints but one thing that's really popped out at me was how even though they have this anti garrison type of uh, substance they're still battling and they're going to live forever they're still battling over these material possessions throughout the story whether it is the best spot in the house or the food who can have the most food and a spot on uh, Gramps will it's it's still a constant battle for for uh, material possessions and it's still a, a me thing which I think is interesting I think Vonnegut might be saying something there that no matter what happens in our world we're, we'll always be chasing something we want, material possessions. Uh, even at the end, there's a super anti-garrison. So there's always going to be this bigger and better thing that we always want. I think uh, that Vonnegut's really saying something there. And really, I found that to be kind of something that stood out to me. Yeah, another thing that's uh, really interesting is we talk about this me, me thing and that 
even though they have this ability to live forever and even make themselves appear to be younger, they don't seem to do anything productive with their lives. And that's super interesting considering like it talks about how while they have all these people leaving this house, well, all they do is pretty much all day just sit there and watch TV and, and argue over things like where they're going to sleep or where, or like what, who gets what food, whether they get the processed food or the non-processed food, like the good food or bad food, the good sleeping spot or the bad sleeping spot. And uh, it's it's interesting how Vonnegut like displays that through the different characters like Gramps or Lou or M. It just, uh, the way he does that shows that the like even you could have like everything things like eternal life or and you'll still always want more for yourself yeah another thing that stood out to me was really when gramps uh went away and uh even though he was really kind of oppressing his family and he really was kind of treating them poorly once he removed himself, it just became a free-for-all with the family members fighting and just pretty much chaos uh, starting out. I don't know if that says something about removing a authority figure and what that can do to people, but I thought it was really interesting how as soon as he was taken out of the equation, it was just immediately chaos between these family members and fighting and really no order at all despite getting rid of this really not good person in their lives yeah i agree with you and uh uh i think that's all we got for this little discussion on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow so uh see you in the next segment on today's episode of uh and so it joe's we had some great discussion on both Slaughterhouse Five and our character Billy Pilgrim and how he's progressing and the th- things he's going through and how Vonnegut portrays that. And then we uh, also talked about Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, very interesting short story by Vonnegut. And then we uh, sat in with an interview by me and my mom, which was uh, interesting to get her opinions on some things say in the media. But uh, it is very sad to say that uh, this is our last installment of And So It Goes. Uh, been a great journey and uh me and joe we'll both miss it maybe joe you got any last words been a, been a ride been a ride a lot of ups and downs it's crazy all right. love all you guys Peace out